Hi, and welcome to episode number 22 of Jagged Parts, the audio experience. My guest today is someone I've known and respected for a long time. Toronto-based acting teacher, director, coach, studio owner, casting facility owner, and someone who's been in this industry for longer than a lot of us have probably been alive. 46 years and counting, Louis Bomander. I trained and worked with Lewis for almost five years when I was in Toronto, both in his highly sought-after group classes as well as privately. In fact, working with Lewis, whether it's for a short period or a long period period of time, is almost a rite of passage for a lot of Toronto-based actors. I've learned a lot on the craft from him, but perhaps the biggest lesson I've learned from him is to take the craft very seriously, but to not take yourself too seriously. As actors, our job is to live live truthfully and unpredictably moment to moment, doing our best to do justice to bring forth the writer's words and intentions through the prisms of our own bodies and spirit as best as possible. We do this, hopefully, for the love of it. We do this to chase growth and constant improvement. And because in some of these moments, we feel more alive and free than we ever do in our real lives. Not to chase fame, hopefully not to try to impress people. Of course, we all do want recognition for our work and to be able to make a living doing it, but ideally not at the cost of falling into the wanting adulation or validation trap. And Lewis is someone who, despite having achieved many of the traditional markers of success, is someone who tirelessly works because for no other reason but that he loves it. He's also someone I've seen take chances and risks when a lot of people in his position don't necessarily need to or necessarily would. So, for all that and more, he will always have my respect. Here's his bio. Over the past 46 years, Lewis has directed over 100 plays across Canada in theaters such as the Tarragon and the Manitoba Theatre Centre, where he also directed Keanu Reeves in Hamlet. He has conducted workshops for many actor conferences and has also directed television and feature films. He is often called to be an on-set acting coach and has worked on Scary Stories, Titan, Titans, and The Strain, among other projects. Lewis has directed, taught, and coached four generations of working actors. Three Gemini nomination performances have risen from this group. He's worked with actors such as Shamir Anderson, who's, uh, who, who's been seen on Awake, Goliath, Race, Nina Dobrev from Degrassi and Vampire Diaries, Ellen Scott, from Scott Pilgrim, Glow, Condor, Nahani Jonestone, who was in Orange is the New Black, Casey Collins from Saving Hope, Mogadishu and the Strain, Noah Danby, who was in Killjoy's Bitten Defiance, Georgina Riley from Murdoch Mysteries and Saving Hope. He's also worked with closely with many actors on shows such as Degrassi, The Next Generation, The Strain, Riverdale, Arrow, Supernatural, Frankie Drake, Bitten, Handmaid's Tale, Winona Earp, The Flash, Life with Boys, Killjoys, The Next Step, and many, many, many others. Lewis founded the LB Acting Studio where he teaches year-round. He considers himself fortunate to have had so many talented actors pass through his studio. Lewis is also the owner of Casting Central, which is one of Canada's largest casting facilities. Casting directors such as Robin Cook, Forrest and Forrest Casting, Tina, Tina Jerusi, Deirdre Bowen, Bucket Knight, and Lewis K. Casting work out of that office. Without further ado, it's my pleasure to have Lewis Bowmander on my show. Lewis, first hey, of all, it's so lovely to see you. I haven't seen you in too, a couple of years. Um, how, how long has it been? It's been two, and a, two, two years and a few months since I moved to Vancouver. And I remember uh, before I came and I, I saw you in your office, uh, 
Yeah. I can still see you sitting right there on the couch. Yeah, that's right. There you were. So it turned out to be a good move for you, yeah? Very good move, very good move, yeah. Uh, Vancouver market is very different. In a way, I feel it's more open. Um, there's fewer actors. I think that's one of the biggest reasons. Right. Just the union membership is like one-fourth the size. So, And there's, right. I would say, an equal number, if not more, productions. So, um, yeah, definitely don't miss the winters either. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. So, Louis, uh, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. I've known you for many years. I've trained with you for many years, worked with you for many years. Um, uh, and But I, I actually realized I don't know a whole lot about your history before I started working with you in the studio and obviously I've heard anecdotes here and there but I actually don't know a whole lot about you so uh, I'm actually very curious myself as well so just to start off um, uh, um, I'd like our listeners to know a bit more about just a bit of your origin story so Louis where were you born where did you grow up and how did you kind of get into this industry Bad luck. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no, it uh, fairly randomly. Uh, okay. Fairly ra- randomly. I was born in Saskatchewan, Saskatoon. Okay. Uh, moved to Toronto when I was seven. Uh, spent summers out there with my grandparents until I was about 17, 18. Okay. Uh, hadn't been back until last summer where I went. Uh, back to Saskatoon to see it uh, again. Oh, really? You've never been back, been back since you moved? Since through? 17, no. Wow. Uh, so that was kind of cool, going by my, you know, uh, grandparents' house where I lived, all of those kind of things. Um, I guess my story in terms of what we're doing here starts uh, like everybody else's story when you finish high school uh, and you got all this pressure. Uh, from parents, what are you going to do? What are you going to be? What are you going to do? What are you going to be? Right. And my m- mother was one of the most supportive human beings on the planet. Mm-hmm. And even she would say, So, honey, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know? Uh, and I applied to many universities um, uh, and I had no idea. I was 18. Like, who knows what they're going to do with their life at 18? Right. Uh, but I enrolled, uh, I applied to Carleton in Ottawa. Maybe I'd be a journalist. That seemed like an interesting thing to do. Uh, I applied to York uh, because I didn't know what else to do. That was at least be a general education. Right. I applied to U of T because uh, maybe I wanted to be a psychiatrist. Oh, okay. Okay. So... Uh, these were my kind of options. Um, but I remember, uh, you know, waiting for the acceptance letters and um, getting them. And there, I got accepted into those three places. And I thought I had no idea what to do. Anyway, I had this epiphany, and this, this lasted and has lasted me my entire life. Okay. So while I was sitting on the hill in, near the ravine where my parents lived and where I was living at the time, this thought came to me. I didn't want there to be a separation between who I was and what I did. Mm. I didn't want to work five days to get two days, to work 11 months to get a month. Right. 
I wanted to be whoever I was 24 mm. seven. So that guided me. So I thought, okay, really I want to hang out with people, you know, I'm a post sixties guy, you know, and uh, so hanging out seemed like a good way to live one's, <laughs> live one's life, you know, and in my naive 18 year old brain, uh, I thought, okay, I'll go to UFT, I'll become a psychiatrist because then I'll know about the human condition and I'll work with people and mm. that'll be wonderful. Uh, well, you have to go through sciences before, <laughs> yeah, and it's a long haul. Right. And uh, that just didn't seem right to me. Mm. And I wasn't doing great. But I did do a course uh, in those days you had to do a course in existential thought. Or in, in do a yeah, you had to do a humanities class. Okay. So as part of your general uh, education. So I did one in existential thought. Mm. Anyway, to cut to the chase, I wrote this play uh, for the course. I ended up acting in it and I wrote it, directed it, was in it, promoted it. And uh, we did it at a place called The Pipe Room at Glendon College, which was part of U of T at the time. Mm. Became part of York, I don't know when. And uh, everybody said this was a great play and uh, sent it up to Maven Moore at York University. And um, so I did. And I got a meeting with him and he invited me into the theater program. Okay. And I had fancied myself a bit of a writer, and um, so why not? So I went up there. Okay. And uh, I wrote a play that I didn't trust any of the other student direct, st students to direct, so I directed it myself. Okay. And the light bulb went off. This is everything I wanted out, wanted out of psychiatry mm. without the science. <laughs> right. uh, I, it was so amazing. Just I wrote something from the heart. I worked with actors and we talked about stuff and we put it on. We explored ourselves and everything. And that just seemed the right thing to do. Oh, wow. So that's, I guess, how it began. And, uh, you know, and everything rolled out from there. And, you know, there's lots of major stories right. from there. But that was, and that guiding principle has not changed in my entire uh, career as it pertains to my work. Uh, my life is a little sun, but I kept that in mind all the way through. You mean the distinction that you didn't have, want to have a distinction between who you were and what yeah. you did? Yeah, I think that's brilliant because, uh, you know, a lot of people who, right, they, they like you, you summed it up perfectly, they work five days to get two days and work however many weeks to get the three weeks of vacation. So did you ever want to be an actor, Lewis, or you always kind of knew that you wanted to direct? Uh, I never wanted to be an actor. Uh, there were, um, at university, I did uh, have to do a couple of things. I wasn't right. the greatest actor. Mm -hmm. uh, there was one time when I was running this open air theater, the actor got sick, I had to go on for him. Mm. And um, my dad told me not to give up my day job. <laughs> uh, 
But I think all uh, actors get told that. But I did do uh, one when I shifted from the theater to television and film. Right. Uh, I did have an agent at the time. They sent me up for a few things. I booked one, mm. and uh, I did it. Um, but for the most part, uh, I prefer behind the scenes. Uh, there were two roles uh, that I had always. There was a play by Edward Albee uh, yeah. called uh, Zoo Story. Mm. And uh, the role of Jerry, uh, I would have loved to have. If there was anything I ever wanted to do, that I would have wanted to do that part. Okay. Uh, so there was something about that that I understand why actors want to be actors because there was something in that that it would have been amazing to get that out of my heart and soul and put it out there. Uh, but other than I'm obviously way too old now, but uh, that would have been a cool role to have done. Oh, cool. So, okay, so you mentioned, so you started off in theater. Uh, how many years did you work in theater? And what, what was the transition from there to film like? Uh, I, I guess I gra uh, graduated uh, from uh, four years of university and um, the theater department at York. Uh, I ended up as the assistant director at the Tarragon Theater in Toronto. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, and um, I directed the Manitoba Theater Center, uh, some local things. I started my own theater company, Skylight Theater and Open Air Theater in Earl Bales Park. So I did a lot of that. Um, and then probably 10, 12, I, I've lost, I've been in the business now 47 years. So wow. I can't really, I think uh, probably, 1986, 87 was probably when I kind of got out. I got in in uh, early 70, 71 uh, to 86, I think. Wow. Uh, at the uh, open air theater that I built in Earl Bales Park, there's a plaque on a bronze plaque uh, oh. there saying uh, founding artistic director, Louis Bullmander, uh, and it's got the year 71 to 86. And it feels like whoever that was died because uh, it's like a like a tombstone kind of. Wow, quote. I think I think I have seen this. I have seen this yeah. picture on social media of you. Yeah. So you actually built that. So uh, that was that. I so somewhere around eighty six, eighty seven. Um, that came to an end. Uh, I I nearly killed myself with that theater. You know, like I. Uh, ended up in the hospital at one point, uh, had a mini heart attack. Um, I was smoking two large packs of cigarettes a day, coffee, no sleep. I, you know, made myself pretty sick. Uh, anyway, I, when that came to an end, uh, I went to England uh, with uh, my wife and son and uh, visiting her family. And had to figure out what I was going to do at that point. And uh, remember, that only decision I made was to do this. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, uh, you know when you 
aren't doing anything and you're out of work and people mm. say, hey, so what are you up to? Mm. You usually say, tell them what you did right. in the past and what you might be doing in the future, but you don't <laughs> deal with right now. You right. know, because when you say, I'm, you know, I'm doing bugger all, I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. Anyway, I was feeling particularly loose at the time, and I just said to this person who asked me, I said, you know what? Nothing. Uh, in a couple of months, I'm stone broke. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, so she said, you're out of work? I said, you? Because, you know, whatever reputation I had, people just assumed that I was working. Uh, so people stopped asking. They just, because I used to turn a lot down. Right. So she said, uh, let me call you in the morning. She called me in the morning. Uh, the following day, I was an acting coach on the set of Divorce Court. <laughs> Divorce Court. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like a judge um, show? Or what? <laughs> you didn't see that one coming, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, Divorce Court is a franchise, and there are, sometimes it was real people. Okay. Uh, um, sometimes it was scripts with actors. Mm. Uh, it had different incarnations. Like this docudrama. Was a docudrama yeah. Drama? Okay. So in this particular one, it was actors acting out real cases. Okay. And um, I had done some teaching, you yeah. know, uh, some coaching uh, over the years. Uh, I was teaching a bit at the Leopoldson Theater School, actually, mm. uh, teaching Sunday classes with kids. Actually, that's where I met Keanu. That's where I first okay. directed him. Oh. Um, but... Uh, so I found myself on set and at peak, they were shooting eight half hour episodes a day. Okay. Okay. Wow. And heard nowadays, you know, kind of block shooting fast paced like that, that's standard, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, and my, I had to wear a headset here from the, the room, multicam. I had to go in and give an actor a note. Mm. and get it done before hair and makeup finished. Wow. And, and I had screaming, for God's sakes, fix it. Fix it, it's a human being, you know, like fix it. Uh, and I don't know if you've smelled fear, mm. <laughs> but it has a very distinct smell. And I, I got actors, uh, non-union, some people had done very little acting, but they looked right for these particular roles. Right. And within a minute, I had to give a note to make this work. And everything I knew about acting technique, everything I knew about the process meant nothing here. Mm. There was no take the time, rehearse it, work on the play for three weeks, four weeks, sit around drinking coffee and discussing the inner meanings of the play, going home, doing your research, you know? All of that seemed very quaint in this market. Mm -hmm. And I had never made more than $400 a week at that point. 
and I was getting $400 a day. And it, I'd be damned if I was going to lose this job because <laughs> I was not only broke, I was in debt. So um, I had to figure out how to do it. And I started to streamline. And that began, interestingly, uh, became the beginnings of the techniques or the way I work now right. uh, were born out of necessity mm -hmm. on that set. Uh, of how to help an actor quickly, mm. where there was no time to prepare, no time to, uh, by those standards, indulge in getting into it over time. Right. So uh, that was the seeds of that, and obviously very primitive compared to what I do now, mm -hmm. but it was the beginnings, and now, you know, you look at, People having to prepare eight, 10, 12 page auditions in mm -hmm. 24 hours. Sometimes they get two auditions. Right. You're blessed if you get two of them, but cursed, you've got 24 hours, 48 hours to turn that thing around. Right. You get on a set, you're block shooting. Yeah. Four episodes, just shooting sometimes in one direction. Yeah. So the need for getting it together quickly mm -hmm. um, probably became my calling card because um, I could do it quick. Right. Uh, so I, 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 preferred the, I prefer taking the time. Of course. But uh, if you got an audition uh, and you got it at 4 o'clock, right. go do a night shift at, at a restaurant and, <laughs> you know, come home at 2 in the morning and then go on uh, to that audition. Right. And... Uh, your old ways aren't going to necessarily help you. Mm -hmm. And especially I find, you know, we're moving, everything seems to be moving into episodic. So, you know, maybe in feature films you get more time, but it's just majority of the work is episodic television and series. So you just have to be able to make that work. Otherwise you're not going to work. Yeah, um, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so Lewis, was that, so you mentioned that was the kind of the seed uh, to your starting to teach acting. Is that when you founded uh, your studio, which is uh, Lewis? No, Moore's the business? studio, I never uh, really founded. Uh, that too is something that evolved. Okay. Um, so doing that, then I did accept a job at uh, uh, Humber and uh, University of Windsor, and I, I took on University of Manitoba because when I went out to um, be an assistant director at the Manitoba Theatre Centre, okay. uh, part of that job was I was the assistant. I got to direct one on the warehouse stage, uh, assisted on the main stage shows, and taught uh, two classes at the University of Manitoba. It was part of some grant, I guess, they mm. got. I see. So that was all part of that. But I rented a little studio uh, above a store um, near my house. And I taught a class, uh, a scene study class. It was Tuesdays and Thursdays, um, both nights. And then... Uh, there are a lot of people wanted to do it, so I 
did another one Mondays and Wednesdays. And then they closed that place. Okay. I'm like really telescoping everything course, down here. But uh, I needed another space to teach. Right. And um, I met uh, Ryan Goldhar. Uh, right. The agent. Uh, from characters. But at the time, he owned uh, Casting Link. Okay. Uh, Casting Link became joined the central to become casting central right in terms of the history of these things um so i rented the space from him mm. and i did my four classes and then uh casting casting link and central joined okay and moved to 680 young mm. and there um i moved with ryan and we made that deal that I would have access to the space from 6 p.m. till the morning. Okay. Um, uh, Monday to Friday. Mm. And weekends, I had it. Okay. Uh, and paid rent accordingly. Right. And um, anyone who wanted to rent that space was my revenue. So I see. that was the deal. And at the time, uh, again, people liked the way I was teaching. And one of my key and uh, first teachers, Georgina Riley, mm -hmm. uh, uh, people were getting together with her because all the students in the class would get together with her sometimes on a Friday evening, you know, they're, uh, 18, 20 year olds are getting together and working on stuff. And they were working on a lot of the stuff they were working on in my classes. Okay. And uh, they would take turns in a sense trying being me. <laughs> and Regina turned out to be the best me. Oh, okay. Uh, and eventually uh, I trained her to teach. So she, she was your first instructor? Your yeah, first instructor. because she had um, studied with me, I don't know, four or five years, twice a week mm. for like years, and then did private coaching as well. So she was steeped in my way of working. Right. And back then I taught from six, her class from six to 7.30. Okay. Uh, and she taught the second half. And okay. then I went and taught my class from 7.30 to 11. Okay. And her class became two classes um a week and then that kept expanding and right. then i got uh honey johnston to right. i asked her and she got two classes right and that continued to expand and then they moved uh from there 680 young to 321 davenport right davenport, yeah. and once again we set up that same kind of deal right and um so it just kind of expanded from there and then ryan went to work uh back uh, at uh characters he mm -hmm. joined characters and um the other owner of casting central uh fell in love and moved to germany oh. uh, and 
So they were selling casting, uh, cast, selling casting central. Okay. And um, location, location, location. So if I didn't buy it, um, someone else would have and thrown me out. Right. Um, so I rebuilt the <laughs> Yeah. So I kind of did it on a, uh, as a defensive move more mm. than anything. Right. I mean, they didn't charge a lot for it, but, uh, but still, uh, I borrowed money for it. Right. Um, and then they were going to turn that into a condo. And then I moved here and I designed. So this, I would say, is my first studio. Right. Yes, I called it Louis Bomander Acting Studio, but here it became LB Acting Studio. Right. Uh, I be it started to become less about me and more about a way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and my teach it the te- I train more teachers, and now we do 21, 22 classes oh, wow. uh, a, a week here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, your facility is is definitely the biggest in Canada. Even Vancouver, there's nothing that compares to what you have, especially with, you know, all the casting that's going on at Casting Central and your classes. I think it's a great uh, mix of the two that people get because they see people auditioning. We're in the same classes. People are in the same classes where the auditions happen. They get a comfort level for the rooms and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I think it's uh, it's fantastic. Um, so for our listeners, how many how many instructors are a member of uh, LBAS now at this point? We have, um, I would say there are 10, not all working at the same time. Right. So Holly DeVoe uh, uh, is a fine, fine teacher. She's in Los Angeles right now, so she's not teaching. Shelby Bain, who's on uh, The Next Step, uh, is going on... Uh, back to the show, so she's not teaching at the moment. So people will come and go uh, and trade in and out. Uh, But I would say we've got uh, 10 teachers. Mm. Wow. And now you, a couple of years ago, you started the studio as well, right? To make films, uh, the casting. Yeah, Uh, casting centric film studio, right? Right. I think that's fantastic. How's that been going? It... um, We're actually closing that as a space. Okay. Uh, we are going to keep our ideal reels, which is right. the, the most successful thing that we've done there. Right. And we're going to be taking it on the road. Oh, wow. Uh, so we're going to look for locations. Right, right. Um, I, I would say it was my first... Uh, I've been very lucky in that I've made certain decisions about where and what to do and they panned out. Uh, but I believed that because so many actors came to my, sat on my couch uh, yeah. and uh, said, what should I do? How can I? And I said, you got to make your own movies. Right. Well, how? And, and make your own short film. And I thought if I built a studio mm. that all the gear, multiple sets, we can give you the space, you know, rent you the space, mm-hmm. a turnkey, or help you all the way through to directing, cinematography, the whole deal. People mm-hmm. might be interested, would be interested in that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as it turned out, not true. Uh, oh. That it somehow, it never panned out that way. Oh. So Maybe it's the location, because, you know, then they might want to, 
depends on what the film they want to shoot, right? Maybe they want to shoot outside or I guess. Yeah, I don't know. It didn't work out. <clears throat> uh, lost a lot of money on it. Oh. Uh, but um, again, it wasn't the most important thing. I've followed my heart on the thing, right. you know? Right. And, um, but the ideal reels grew out of that and we're going to continue to do that. And uh, we've shot a lot of really quality uh, stuff uh, out of that. And we own a studio grade camera now and lighting and right. sound. So uh, we'll take that out on the road. Uh, yeah, and you've built up the infrastructure and the community of people. Uh, yeah, this is true. Yeah. Um, I know you have a Facebook group as well, right? Where people can connect, whether they need help for auditions yeah. or they need someone to help on their project. So just for our listeners, um, uh, what the ideal reels is a monthly, is that correct? Monthly? Uh, no, not monthly. We do it about, uh, we just finished ideal reels 15. Um, we've done 15 of them. Um, we're in the planning stages of 16. Okay. Uh, we're about to, uh, all the raw footage is in. Uh, we send uh, all the actors who did it, 42 actors, uh, did it mm -hmm. over that weekend. We send them all the raw footage. Right. And then they select of which uh, take they want, mm -hmm. send it back to us. We want this take. And then we color correct it, sound edit it, and give them a polished take of that okay. one scene back. So That's we're in that Yeah. So we're in that process. Now we'll then um, ask them if they would mind if we posted it or not. And then we put them out there and announce and here's what we've done. Here's a contest. Um, pick your fave. And here's what we're going to do next. So that's um, where we're at. Okay, cool. I also noticed that you have a bunch of workshops coming up. Like there were some tax yeah. workshops. So could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, that. Um, this is where I said, you know, before we started, uh, I've got these wonderful young people around me who just, you know, like, and uh, Caitlin, uh, my manager, just, mm -hmm. she holds down the fort here. I mean, mm -hmm. she's, um, I think I could go away and it would still run. If she went away, I'm not so sure if it would. But uh, Brittany McRae, um, um, she's like my daughter, you know, and she's been with me since she was like 12 or 13 and she's now 27 and uh, wow. whatever else. So, uh, but she has a great sense of community and a great, uh, she's got her finger in the pulse of what's happening. Mm. And she really believes in like the LB Creative Collective was her idea, mm -hmm. her sense of community. She, I live a very insular life here and, um, but she has seen the impact I've had out there. And uh, I don't quite buy it, but she tells me that I've had this impact. Mm -hmm. And um, she thinks I should do, you know, put my name behind a bunch of different things. And, mm -hmm. and so we're doing these workshops uh, that deal with, so for, this is tax time. So right. we're doing one on taxes. We're doing one on um, HD makeup. We're doing one mm -hmm. on, um, uh, one line kind of auditions. Immigration uh, as well, right? U.S. immigration. immigration. Yeah. So we're doing everything else. There, the things you need outside of just taking classes. And right. we have, uh, so we're offering, there's seven of them. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and you can do any one of them or five of them uh, yeah. or a deal. I don't know. I mean, I don't pay much attention to that part. I approve the workshops and uh, I'll be in attendance, but uh, yeah. uh, she runs that. But that's, uh, yeah, we're going to be doing them out through the year. That's, that's awesome. I mean, th these are all the practical things that actors sometimes yeah. don't really know about and they ignore. Um, something that I kind of uh, remember is you, you don't typically tend to do those casting director workshops, right? Is that still your philosophy? Uh, yes. Um, what uh, I don't, I just think they're like honey pots and clickbait, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, are they important? You have to be very careful about them. Mm -hmm. uh, some of these, you just have to be very careful uh, right. about them. And I'm not so sure what you get for your money. Mm -hmm. There are other studios that uh, do them. A lot of uh, other coaches do them and, and all the power to them. I, mm -hmm. I don't, uh, I have done a couple of them. Okay. Uh, but I've donated the money to the Actors mm -hmm. Fund. Oh, that's awesome. I don't want to profit from mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. So yes, I will do, I have done a couple, mm -hmm. but I put up a big sign, all proceeds go to the Actors Fund. That's awesome. Um, and uh, if I do them again that way, uh, I am doing with this package of uh, stuff, we will be doing uh a workshop with a casting director but it's uh you can't buy it separately mm, okay it's a part it's of the kind thing. of like a bonus giveaway if you do the five you get that Got it. um you know it's i got to be careful i painted myself into an integrity corner on this thing you know i got to be very <laughs> careful i don't want to be a hypocrite about it mm. um so as much as I recognize their value, I have my own uh, problem right. with it. But that's my thing, you know. Uh, I'm not. Um, it's just what I won't do in my space. Right. And when I do, I just don't want actors to have to pay for the right to have access to a casting director. Mm -hmm. I think that is my real issue. Right. I have uh, thought about. Um, sponsoring a, a casting director workshop where again money would go to the actors fund mm -hmm. and it would be free right. like if they said you pay your 10 20 dollars to okay. come okay. but all it wouldn't be uh i wouldn't profit from it right right you know as i see its value i just don't want to profit from mm -hmm. uh, a casting director workshop right okay that's that's awesome that's great um so lewis i mean i know this is a very loaded question and you know i can't it's hard for you to summarize your process or your tech tech i know you hate that word technique uh, uh because you've been you know working for so long but but if you were to uh kind of walk us through what is what is the what is your core philosophy of the studio and how you approach acting if you can even summarize that yeah actually i've uh because i get asked that so what do you teach you know what's your thing Right. Uh, I have had to uh, find a way to summarize it. Okay. Uh, and I would say this. Everything starts with a premise, right? Like you either buy into someone's premise or you don't. 
Mm-hmm. So if you buy into this premise, then everything I'm going to say is true. If you don't right. buy into the premise, then no. But the goal today is to be authentic. And the only way to be authentic is to be authentic. Mm-hmm. So anything, any technique that creates a time lag between you and it mm-hmm. is a technique and will show. So how do you do it? Again, in the short time frame. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so if that's my opening premise, I would say it's to learn how to do consciously what you're doing unconsciously anyway. Mm-hmm. And so I use the science of the brain and how the brain operates uh, to do it. So okay. all of my techniques aren't my techniques. They belong to nature. Right. So I'm not interested in um, theories of emotion, memory, and uh, backstories. I, like there's so much of this stuff that I think is tied to the 19th century. Mm. So all my work is based on the science of the brain, how memory actually, actually works, not right. some 19th century theory of how right. it works or early 20th century theory of how it works, how mm. it actually works. Um, the text analysis um, is based current, you know, a lot of it is based on the four act structure, going mm. back to Aristotle via um, uh, Stanislavski uh, through Uta Hagen um, mm-hmm. what do you want, what's in the way of what you want what are you going to do to get it within mm-hmm. a given set of circumstances oh man, you know, I mean it's yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I've taught all of that and I have done it but again I go back to I had to figure out how to do it quickly mm-hmm. just to keep my job right. <laughs> way back so uh, that's what I turn to. Uh, and, um, you know, we don't have the time to go into, but uh, I, all the books, uh, neurofunctioning, the power of thought as opposed to uh, memory. All, you know, we can go in, you can't feel without thinking, you know, right. without, there's just a lot of science. Right. And I say to students who take my introductory class that, Everything I say, mm-hmm. you can look up and verify. Mm-hmm. Every now and again, I'll have an opinion, in which case yeah. I'll put an asterisk next to it and say, this is my opinion. Right. But this is all scientifically verifiable. Right. And I say to actors, that's what they should be doing, is make sure whatever theory you're hearing uh, is verifiable. Mm-hmm. So, Lewis, when I, I mean, uh, you touched on a good note, when I came to you, and I think when a lot of actors come to you, they've maybe already gone through that basic training, right? How to break down mm-hmm. a script, beats, actions, all that stuff. Would you, let's say there's, there's actors out there who haven't done that yet. They're completely new to acting. Do you recommend they kind of go through that first basic, uh, you know, acting fundamentals and how to break down a scene before they kind of come to you? Or, or that's not even required now, would you say? Uh, I don't... Uh... My experience of it, and my opinion, not a fact, yeah. uh, on it. Uh, if I go back historically, because I've been doing this 45, 47 years, 
Right. I've got a lot, you know, thousands of students that have passed through me who mm. have gone through colleges and universities. I've taught there, and those who have come to me straight out of high school who haven't done any of that. Yeah, uh, athletes who come work with me who've never right. been there, and I found actors grew the quickest without that as a mm. block. Right. Uh, Watching, I mean, what was wonderful about Georgina uh, and um, she didn't have any of that. Mm. And what made her such a fabulous actress and what made her such a great teacher is that she knew how to cut through stuff. She just didn't get, why do you need all of that? Right. Because she had never imprinted herself with any of it. Mm-hmm. And I found the actors who didn't have that grew the fastest okay it's almost like baggage yeah now that's film and television i think uh working in the theater uh is different um but uh somewhat but everything has to adapt to you see i think part of my philosophy is that uh stress is caught one of the causes of stress is trying to do this amount of work in this amount of time and if you're trying to do this amount of work your traditional way of working in this amount of time you're going to get stressed right now if you have a week knock yourself out right but if you got your 24 48 hours you gotta have an emergency kit you gotta have a way of doing it swiftly right and a lot of uh what i do uh is rooted in having the ability to do it swiftly Hmm. interesting um what are what are um other than you know you work with so many actors other than this nebulous talent you know uh what are some characteristics and actors that you've seen that have just helped them succeed be successful in having a long-term career they could be personality traits they could be just anything about them i would say there's a certain fire in the eyes that says uh this is just who i am Hmm. you know uh i don't want to get into uh the whole name dropping thing Um, because look, if you've been coaching, teaching for as long as I have, Mm -hmm. and some of the other coaches, teachers have, you know, just the law of averages say at least one or two of them are going to turn out to be, you know, well, no, uh, so, uh, you know, like that's not on us. They, we were, they weren't the lucky ones, you know? We were the lucky ones, but uh, in I remember a particular actor who crashed an audition. Mm. I was, it was a student production of Romeo and Juliet I was doing, and he just walked right in in the middle of somebody's audition, and uh, very polite said, "Excuse me," to the actor. Uh, came and just said, I need to play Mercutio. 
and I was about to say, who the fuck, like, who are you, yeah. But I believed him. Hmm. I believed that those I, he needed to, hmm. it was almost as if it would be life or death. Hmm. And, um, I ended up, more to the story, but I ended up casting him. Mm-hmm. And uh, the artist, because he had no experience, really. And the uh, artistic director uh, of the theater school said, uh, no. And I said, uh, if we don't cast him, I quit. Oh, wow. Because I just knew this kid needed to do it. Mm-hmm. And if I go back, uh, so that was that. Another actor. And that was Keanu Reeves, right? This is Keanu Reeves? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, and uh, other actors I remember who uh, would audition and they would say, oh man, I sucked. That was terrible. Right. And, um, and I remember uh, this was, was Shamir Anderson and he said, I need more flight time, man. Just more flight time. That was his thing. More flight time. I suck, but I need more flight time. It was his thing that just get better, just get better. Uh, and it didn't, he knew he had to get better. But his dedication to excellence, his dedication to just getting better mm-hmm. and not making it. Of course, he wanted that too. Right. Uh, and if I look at over the years, those who put in the time to get better who worked hard, sweated for it, you mm-hmm. know? Not the ones who take pictures of themselves in the mirror at the gym or pictures of their food, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, like, I don't even know what's up with that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I would say that it was that desire to get better, that they were actors. They were something in them would not be denied. And not only that, but we're willing to work. Right. Because a lot of people say that, right? Like a lot of people say, I can't live without acting and whatnot, but are you going to be willing to make the sacrifices and whatnot too? Yeah. So I would say that was uh, the key. That was the key. Uh, That's been consistent over the years. Uh, Hunger, and desire and the willingness to put in the work to support that dream. Do you think someone can actually be taught to be a good actor if they just don't have that kind of internal talent or whatever you call it? I I don't know. I think um, there is, uh, you know, you, uh, there's a, I think it was a pen from Penn and Teller says, there has to be such a thing as luck. How else do you explain the success of some people? Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I I don't, you know, you see a lot of people on the screen and you go, how the hell, you know? Um, But those careers tend to be short-lived. They seem to be, you know, quick one shots. Right. Um, But, you, it, timing, you know, it's the right time in history for it, the right 
conditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that ball has to fall on this side of the net, not that side of the net. Right. But if we're measuring success by um, achievement in the business, mm-hmm. uh, then there's a good deal of luck involved. Of if you just, uh, some of my first students who are in their 50s, uh, this is going way back, uh, but uh, uh, going back 18 years actually, but they had a 50th birthday party for me and uh, okay. people came in from like everywhere and a lot of people who were you know, really successful and those who got out of the business, but they were all there. Uh, not all, but many. And the question came up, who was the most talented mm. back Lewis? Who was the most talented back right. then? Uh, and we were a few shots of tequila in, I think, uh, all. And uh, so we all wrote on a piece of paper who we thought it was. Mm. And the one we thought it was, was an accountant in Thornhill. Was, was who, sorry? An accountant in Thornhill. Oh, wow, he doesn't act anymore. Okay. And the one we kind of thought was the least at the time uh, wasn't going to ever get to play Hamlet, but would play Horatio. Mm. Wouldn't be in the Broadway shows, but on the road tour, you know, the the road shows. Right, working actor. Working actor. But, man, uh, this kid was deadly. (laughs) <laughs> you know, but again, uh, he wasn't going to take no for an answer. Yeah. So talent is a funny word. And I think the word talent in some ways is like um, the boogeyman the parents use, you know. Oh, but you're so talented. Right. You know, you were so talented. Um, you know, you should because you're so talented. But if you look at, again, looking strictly at television film uh-huh. and you work on a scene that moment talent no talent talent no talent 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 no talent right because it's going to be edited together into yep. a greatest kids package anyway right mm. so in the end uh talent is just consistency mm. uh since it's going to be a greatest hits album anyway right you just got to be consistent uh, and on the money, uh, and be there when the bell rings. Right. Uh, and every moment counts because you're going to miss some of them. Mm-hmm. I think it's this uh, desire for per- perfection, which is different than talent. Right. Uh, this desire, I, you know, I'm only talented if I nail the whole audition. If I mm-hmm. But no, it's uh, too many other factors. Right. Um, talent, nailing it, owning it, mm. all of these things uh, deprive a human being of creativity. You know, you got to have ambition. There's no question of uh, right. desire. But um, for what? Right. What are you chasing, I guess? What are you chasing, you know? Yeah. So I think, you know, you mentioned how, how fast the industry moves now. Um, 
and it seems to change every two years. Um, you know, the direction it goes with the platforms now, networks are slowly starting to go away. Everything's going to streaming. But 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 yeah, what have you? What are some of the biggest changes you've seen in the? I mean, I don't I don't even want to ask you for the last thirty years because there's so the whole industry's changed, I guess. But uh, uh, I grew up in a world before there was television. Right. So, <laughs> oh, because I remember you telling us that yeah. like, out, like agents would deliver like headshots by fax. Oh yeah, yeah. There was a trend. I can't remember the company. I think. It eventually became breakdown services, but right. yeah, uh, the breakdown would go out by fax, right? And uh, agents would look at that and then put together their resumes, and then this uh, service would come around and pick up all the resumes and mm -hmm. deliver them to casting or production or wherever they were going. Right. And it was done on the phone. So, yeah, that was um, that. Um, casting directors uh, often, they had to get out there because there was no internet. Mm -hmm. So what they would do uh, is they'd have to go to Sears Drama Festival, high school productions. Mm -hmm. They'd go to Christmas pageants. They would go to opening nights uh, of plays in the city. They had to go out and see actors. Wow. Um, that was their job. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, in a sense, uh, the Keanu story is interesting because the actor who sent out his picture and resume to agents mm -hmm. uh, about this production of Romeo and Juliet, uh, a few agents came out to see that show. Okay. And um, I'm not sure if we've, yeah, uh, a bunch of agents came out to see that show. They didn't take him on, but three of them wanted uh, to take on Keanu. Oh, really? Wow. So, you see, so an actor could send out to a casting director, I'm in this show. Mm hmm and the casting director would come to the show, mm -hmm. but may not be interested in that one because they would see everybody. Oh, wow. So the pool from which you drew was larger. Right. And in a sense, almost everybody had a chance. Mm. But don't you feel now, I mean, it is so competitive now, and especially with film and television, I mean, um... You know, would you say like the look has become more, even more important now in a way, or because? Well, uh, the look was always uh, well in the theater, not so much, but there was more theater than there was television and film, certainly in right. Canada. Right. Um, it was the CBC and eventually Global and CTV a little bit, mm -hmm. but uh, the CBC was the only game in town. Right. Uh, it was a little more like what British television uh, and film, uh, you know, you can turn on British TV and go, man, there's some ugly motherfuckers out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, They don't have great teeth, they don't have, you know, <laughs> they, they definitely don't look CW, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, 
you know, but they're working because they're great actors, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, I just saw, um, I saw The Gentleman uh, in Guy Ritchie's uh, latest film. And um, just some, just raw talent, you know. Yeah. Just, uh, okay, Matthew McConaughey, good looking guy, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a few of the really good looking ones in there. But, you know, there are a lot of guys, and you know, they're just like, um, they look like you could see them in a bar, you know, anywhere. Right. So, uh, British tell, depending on where, uh, I think some of the higher end uh, is not as interested in that um, as um, it used to be. But yeah, look is important. The right. archetypes, I think what is really changed is, is artificial intelligence is playing a huge role in uh, all of this now because of streaming mm -hmm. netflix knows what you're watching oh yeah of course right so they know what you're watching they know how long you're watching it mm -hmm. how many episodes at a time you're watching mm -hmm. they can call that data with all the talk and all the subgroups of what people are saying about that show and about those actors yeah they can call all that data all this data run it through whatever algorithmic programs they have and they can tell you who is working like who yes. the audiences want and who they right. don't right so right. as in every aspect of our life algorithms uh are making decisions mm -hmm. um so um that is somewhat problematic obviously the music industry right. uh, and a lot of people can't get through because the algorithms are dictating what's what. I mean, just think if um, Neil Young and Bob Dylan were trying to make it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the music industry now? Uh, you know, uh, they, uh, Patti Smith, you know, like, no. They have to get, uh, get on board with AutoTune. <laughs> yeah, you know they, they were so. There's that uh, aspect of it. Now, uh, that's the I suppose the negative side or right. realistic side on one side of the equation, right. but on the other, right, there has never been a better time, right, in terms of bypassing agents casting and getting all the way to production through what you're doing mm -hmm. because eh, people are paying attention to what's out there mm -hmm. and if you're producing your own content and the cost of which is getting lower and lower and lower right um you know maybe five years ago a podcast would have been outside your financial parameters mm -hmm. yeah. but now it's not no. so creating your own content getting it out there and I would my advice to young actors today would be stop chasing a, yes you need an agent yes mm -hmm. you need an agent can get you in the room yes you need an agent to get you bigger auditions in the room 
more self tapes. You need all of that. But that's only one rail to follow. Mm -hmm. The other is create your own content. Right. You are an artist first and foremost. Right. You have something in you that is compelled to do it. And so do it. All these other things you must do as well. But if you're writing that, then you, you're going to feel fraudulent at some point because you know the audition came once a month right. randomly. Right. Uh, you're in a room full of people who are booking. Yeah. Uh, your reel doesn't have enough real footage. Mm -hmm. um, so there's never been a better time, a cheaper time to produce it, right. get it out there, and get it bypass all those hurdles and right. then make them come to you. Make them come to you. Uh, ride both the rails is what I would say. Mm. So there's the positive and negative. Right, absolutely. Could not agree more. Um, and I mean, but part of it is like, you know, that, like you said, that's what you do, right? Like hopefully you're doing this because you enjoy creating. So that's the main goal in the first place. Yeah. Um, um, in terms of like talking about just auditions and kind of knowing, you know, you mentioned archetypes. Do you think, you know, one of the things you hear is before you worry about about being typecast, worry about being cast first. Um, so this whole archetype thing, right? I mean, all of us have our own energy and vibe and, you know, uh, is it good? Do you think it's necessary for actors for A, at least to be aware of what their energy is and B, then try to change it or not if they want to? Uh, yes, certainly be aware of it. Right. But I think there is a very inexpensive way of finding out your archetype. Okay. Uh, your type. I don't think you need somebody. I mean, if you think about it, uh, you meet some uh, a teacher, they spend how much time with you? And then they say, you know what you are? You know what your problem is? Like if anybody came up to you who met you twice right. for no more than 10, 15 minutes and said, you know what your type is? You know who you are? Your problem is you take your like, street. Did, yeah, where did you get off on that? You know? <laughs> but one way of doing this is be honest with yourself. Mm. If you look at the ways in which you are being misunderstood in your own life, mm -hmm. you'll start to see a pattern. Right. And you start to look at, I thought I was joking, mm. but <laughs> they didn't think I was. Right. <laughs> or they thought I was this. Get to know how you are being misunderstood. Right. Or be more conscious of how you are unconsciously doing shit that people are seeing that. Right. So you can get into that on a much more, a deeper, more uh, level mm -hmm. if you start looking at it uh, that way. Just a quick story on that. About three summers ago, I was... Um, in the summer and I was, uh, you know, I was doing yard work and painting and, you know, so I hadn't shaved, I hadn't taken a shower. I'm wearing torn jeans, 
t-shirt, got paint, dirt under my fingernails. Um, and I was waiting outside the bank at the corner of Carlton and um, Parliament. Now, okay. if you know you love Vancouver, but it's uh, not Captain. like Davy. It's not like old Davy Street, but yeah, yeah. you know. Right. Uh, but there's a part. There's Cabbage Town, which is wonderful. But then there's all of these right, other right, places, right? right? Yeah. Anyway, I was sitting on the curb. Okay. Uh, outside the bank, just waiting for my wife. And uh, just sitting there, looking like I did, uh-huh. and uh, just looking bored, I guess, tired. All of a sudden, a toonie dropped in front of me. <laughs> and I, I went, I, wait. And I thought, I wonder what would happen. <laughs> I made about 475. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> you see, the context is you right. see a man my age mm. sitting in that environment, right? Outside a bank, yeah, looking the way I did, right? You would assume homeless. I was not tapping into my inner homeless person. Mm. No one would say, meeting me dressed like this, that my archetype is homeless people, right? Yeah, I saw in that waiting room about eight, ten guys uh, wearing suits, going up for suits. Mm-hmm. Uh, two days later, virtually the same gang was there, unshaven, wearing jeans and plaid shirts, going for uh, working steps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Same guys. So yes, there's a lot to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but there's more flexibility. But I think where the danger is, the danger is in saying this to 18, 20-year-olds, even 25-year-olds, because they're going to change and evolve. Right. We're going to grow as people. And Mm -hmm. to say to an 18, 20-year-old, this is who you are for the rest of your life, right. I don't think is correct. Right. These are roles that you are predisposed to. Right. Look, they're obvious things. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if you are 180 pounds, uh, five four, uh, young woman, you're not going up for the bitchy cheerleader lead mm-hmm. for sure. Right. Okay, there are formulas there, right? But you just got to be careful how we label people, of course, and be careful how you let yourself be labeled. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we are acting coaches, that's it. Mm-hmm. We're not that special, you know, <laughs> in, in we teach acting to imbue us with more seer-like qualities. Right. Because we may have taught two or three famous people randomly somewhere in time over the years mm-hmm. uh, is not the right way to take advice. Right. Uh, you've yeah, got you to know, just be careful. 
100%. I mean, the first thing you said about like, you know, someone who's really young, they're not fully formed adult yet. So that's, I mean, I personally don't even know how child, like the whole child actor thing. I don't get it because like when your perception of reality hasn't fully formed and then to me, that's absolutely. so messy. Yeah, but absolutely. Like, yeah. But yeah. Uh, thankfully I never had that experience. I started acting when I was a little bit older. Um, but, but like what you mentioned, I mean, you know, uh, you know, we're fluid, we have the whole spectrum of humanity in us and it just depends on how much you've explored. Right. One of the things, well, actually what you mentioned was like, uh, it's a funny story, but, uh, I mean, it's a great acting exercise too. I mean, you could just, you know, it's a good exercise to go out there, like maybe in a different energy or different carrying yourself in a different way than you do and see how people react to you. Yeah. Uh, we did one experiment where we went to a Starbucks. Uh, near 680 Young, and um, the class went there. I mm. sat at the table okay. with the young actress. I was maybe 50 at the time. Right. Yeah, maybe a little over 55. And I sat with the young actress about 18, 20. Mm. Okay. Now, I'm sitting there and we're just talking. Mm -hmm. Someone in the class went up to different people in Starbucks and said, See that guy over there? He left his wife for her. Mm. Okay. You wouldn't believe people came and called me asshole, just called me names, right? How dare you? Then we had people say, you see that guy over there with that young girl? That's his daughter. He hasn't seen her since she was three. <laughs> I got people coming up to me, God bless you. Oh, that's so wonderful. Can I take your picture? Context right. in as an actor to create the context isn't everything. Mm -hmm. But you see, there in those two stories, it tells you no, I didn't have to find some inner scumbag, you know, who would leave his wife for her. The visual was taking care of that. The edit would take care of a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And the other story, it was just where I was, how I was dressed and where you put me. Right. And, so, and in a way, I mean, when, when the audience is watching a film or a show, that's kind of painted for them, right? They know what's going on. A lot of it, yeah. A yeah. lot of it. And you just have to be there being honest and truthful. And yeah, I mean, there's more to it, but um, not as much as people think. And as you're working to get this amount of time, mm -hmm here uh you can leave out a lot of stuff right so what are some series that you're currently watching that you you recommend uh just for the um, well i'm my tv habits uh i tend to talk in metaphor and have a kind of intellectual persona archetype mm -hmm. uh <laughs> but um I like I like a show like Billions uh, mm -hmm. and um, The Blacklist. Yeah. You know, um, I don't watch a lot of current. Uh, I, I don't want. I just don't watch a lot of, of television. Um, I'm too busy. I work right. uh, four evenings uh, a week. Right. Um, I, you know, I, I don't really get to watch a lot. Um, I saw it. 
but I kind of like a lot of more escapist stuff, you know? I remember you used to be a big fan of Westworld, right? You yeah, I watched Westworld. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, uh, I loved the, the acting and the imagination of what could be, would be, you know? I like mm -hmm. the futuristic nature of it. Right. But uh, um, I like a good story and... Um, I'm not keen on a lot of um, openly violent things. I don't like um, a lot of relationship stuff. I just don't like a lot. The morning show, mm. um, because I'm working with an actress uh, who is up for a um, regular on season two, mm -hmm. Um, so I have to watch, you know, right. watch it as, as she's going through, um, screen tests and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I had to watch some of that. Um, again, the individual acting, I thought, you know, I just thought those women and their commitment to it. I still see the formulaic nature of it. Right. Um, but damn their commitment to moments, you know, um, I love the ease with which they, the effortlessness with which they can commit body and soul to, again, moments. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I was actually enjoying some of that. Um, I saw the film, The Irishman. Uh, I saw that. In one uh, sitting? Did you complete it in one sitting? Or? Uh, yeah, uh, no, two sittings. <laughs> two sittings. Uh, it was like saying goodbye to an old friend. Right. Uh, um, this was the end of the line, you know, uh, and uh, I, I enjoyed it for that. You know, I don't know if I enjoyed it for the nostalgia, you know, factor uh, or what. Um, I thought a lot of the criticism was unwarranted. Uh, I mean, to look at that movie and say, it sucked, you know, like, fuck off. That yeah. did not suck. You did not like it, okay? Yeah. It was too long. It was too this. You didn't like the camera tricks. Okay, right. you know? But suck, really. You know? Yeah, people are going to criticize everything. Yeah. I mean. um, and I like the rawness of the gentleman, you know? Mm -hmm. Did you watch um, The Joker? No, I haven't seen it. Okay. Uh, I, when I do go out to see movies and what I watch, I watch stuff with my wife, right? Okay. So we have to, another part of it is we have to agree oh, uh, on what to watch or what to go see. Yeah. Uh, so it can, if be I'm watch, it can be, yeah, it can be disturbing at parts for sure. It's pretty gory. Yeah. So uh, I want to watch it because I want to see uh, what this man has done, how he's, you know, taken the Joker from, Cesar Romero in the old Batman TV show. Right. Jack uh, Nicholson, who yeah. grows it to another level. Yeah. The Heath Ledger, who took it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And then and that's unbeatable. And then this guy going, oh, yeah, watch me. You know? Yeah. So yeah. that kind of evolution of uh, an actor's craft and ability to take something to the next level, I do want to watch it for. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I thought it was brilliant. I absolutely loved it. Um, Louis, have you, I mean, again, I know there's no formula here, but like, let's say there's an actor, you know, they're working, uh, they're getting guest spots here and there, but they're having trouble breaking into the next category. 
So let's say they're having trouble breaking into the series regular category. Are there any tips for, for someone, someone like that? Um, more, the more auditions you get, uh, the odds are, you know, right. just in the law of averages of sales, do mm -hmm. hundred, you get this, you get that, you know. Right. I think uh, there is some wiggle room here. Okay. I think a lot of it is right place, right time. Um, hoping the this particular American actor turned it down, or, or their budget got cut, so they could cast you. Uh, you happen to have uh, residency in Saskatchewan or BC, or. Uh, this or that. So there's a lot of those factors that no acting coach is going to cure for you. So mm -hmm. uh, don't expect that. But I do think this algorithmic thing, mm -hmm. I think you can watch a show and a network and a particular director or producer and pick up certain tones. Okay. Um, and I think you can pick that up and since they watch the same t TV as us, mm -hmm. they're going to be um, wired to the same behaviors as we are. Right. So very simply, like in a soap opera, CW kind of thing, if you had the young lady wearing something kind of low with mm -hmm. a necklace talking to the older man that's with his, her mother that mm -hmm. she wants to screw over you know mm -hmm. a, a little entrance with just playing with that necklace looking down looking up mm -hmm. you see that's an iconic behavior that right. you see so i do when i'm watching stuff collect iconic behaviors from okay. different networks um and make note of them get my all my coaches we watch for how did that work right. uh, in these shows where actors don't even move a facial muscle Mm. How are they communicating that? Mm. Um, and you look for the breathing in the upper chest. You know, like, so there are uh, certain tricks. I think uh, because we watch uh, and things uh, and we stream them and watch, binge watch them, uh, continuity is important and your ability to arc a character from mm -hmm. scene to scene to scene is really important. So, if you have a three scene audition, how to plot it, you know. Um, I think actors are still trying to paint Rembrandts when they go into these auditions, mm -hmm. uh, and you have to be painting Picasso's simple strokes, mm -hmm. you know, will do it. So I think there are some things you can do, right? Um, but not as much as people pretend that you can or right. will try and sell you on. Right, for sure. Um, cool. A couple more questions for you, Lewis, before we end the episode. So one of my favorite questions to ask guests is, you know, what are what is some advice? All right, I'm just going to hang on one. Oh, yeah, you want to get some water or something? Yeah, yeah, please. Uh, no, uh, Brittany left. phone in my office and it was going off like crazy so i'm just going to oh. quickly text okay. her and, and um sure no problem um, 
Okay. Yeah, and I got a class at two, so we'll have to round up anyway. Um, so, Lewis, what's some advice that you would give to yourself if you like if you if you go back in time to a younger Lewis? Let's say when you were just kind of starting out in the business. Uh, I took. I did most of my advice, um, no. but I would say. There's a, a line of uh, Dylan's, um, uh, I ain't looking for nothing in nobody else's eyes. Mm. And I remember hearing that later, because uh, that was from a later album. The idea that the moment you want anything from anybody, they own you. Mm. Um, and I'd say to a lot of young people, uh, why do you care about what somebody thinks when you may never ever meet them again past one day, one week, one month? Mm. Why don't make people matter uh, that way? I think I probably wasted too much time caring about what other people think of me. Mm. Uh, when I was younger, uh, chasing praise, uh, wanting to be validated by uh, other people. Mm -hmm. I think that not all the time, but uh, I went through runs of not doing that. Mm -hmm. But that would be something to stay very conscious of. Um, don't let People own you. Don't let yourself be compromised by someone you don't even respect. That's, right. I think, like, okay, somebody that you admire uh, or revere in some way, you want their opinion. Okay, there's a case to be made for that. Right. But we chase people we don't even respect whose opinion we only are going to nod our head to, uh, you know? Yeah, so I true. would say uh, that and uh, don't lose sight of what you want from life it can take many forms. The mm -hmm. form of, oh, I want to be an actor and anything less is a failure. Mm -hmm. But this artistic expression, this thing in you that needs expressing, mm -hmm. could be a director, could be a writer, could be a cinematographer, could be a photographer, um, could be so many things. Right. Don't worry about the costume or the role of it. Right. Uh, that, I think, people don't evolve sometimes because they they say it's this or nothing. Right. And if you look at most people, most people are really at some level failed something else's. Mm. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's a very nice way of putting you it. You know, you're yeah. like, um, so many of it, like when I grew up, I want to, you know, be this or be that. When you look yeah. at people's success, is that what they set out to do? Right. Probably not. Yeah. Actually, this reminds me of, uh, you know, the film Sicario? 
No. Uh, with Emily Blunt and uh, um, uh, Benicio del Toro. Then they make they made Sicario too. It was Denis Villeneuve's film. And, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So the writer for that, the screenwriter, was a first-time screenwriter. He'd been an actor for like 20 years, but mostly yeah. guest parts. And I w- remember him watching in, him interview, and he said, "If you listen closely enough to the industry and what you're doing, it will tell you what you need to do." And he's like, he's like, at one point, I just got sick of going for a commercial for, you know, Tide in the middle of the day and have to leave my kid and go audition for a commercial. And I just decided I wanted to write. And now he's a very, very successful screenwriter. His first film won like so many awards. Absolutely. Because what are you chasing? Right. You got to keep uh, going back uh, to the thing that you want, you know? Um, one metaphor is in early June when you're in high school and you're staring out that window and you're listening to the teacher drone on about, and about exams and you're mm-hmm. looking out that window going, there's got to be something else for me. Mm-hmm. There's something that I want that's not sitting at this desk. Mm-hmm. Whatever that is, I would recover, rediscover, unearth that voice again, because that voice is still in there. It may be buried, it may be hidden under disappointment, uh, fear, uh, a lot of rejection, mm-hmm. but that, that voice is still in there. But don't worry about the form mm-hmm. that it has to take. That's where you can get into trouble. That's, uh, that's an excellent note to end the episode on, Lewis. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're, you're a busy man. Thank you so much, Lewis. Okay.